You've always been looking for something. That's something that makes you more than the person you're living as. More into the person you were created to be. What others see as mundane, you see as magnificent. You catch a glimpse of something new and it becomes something significant. It's that something extra that keeps you up at night. You dream, you imagine, you envision what your life might be. You are gifted and passionate. Add God's purpose to this and watch what he can build. Who is the prodigy in you? For 60 years, nothing else did what a Polaroid picture did. Nobody else made a picture that appeared in your hands 60 seconds after the photo was shot, and now it's almost gone. Nearly every story about Polaroid goes back to its founder, a man named Edwin Land. He was the house genius. He was the inventor of instant photography. He ran Polaroid almost like a scientific think tank. Land did no market research. He once said, marketing is what you do if your product is no good. You had to show people something they had no idea they wanted, but that was irresistible. To that end, what he would do was turn Polaroid's annual meeting into a sort of a show. He would get up on stage, he would show the new camera, he'd demonstrate whatever the new product was, and by the end of the meeting, you completely had to have one. This may remind you of somebody. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, was watching very closely as a young man. He once explicitly said he modeled Apple on Polaroid, and in fact, a few times in the 1970s and early 80s, he made a trip to Polaroid's headquarters to meet Dr. Land. In 1970, Land shot a short film for his employees in which he talked about the future of photography. A camera that would be, oh, like the telephone, something that you use all day long, and a camera that you would use as often as your pencil or your eyeglasses. You'd have photographs from your entire life taken constantly and from your children's life and your families and your friends. It anticipates to an astonishing extent the way we all shoot photos every day on our iPhones and upload them to Facebook. Being able to take a wallet out of my pocket and perhaps open the wallet, press a button, close the wallet, and have the picture. When Land started talking about this stuff, it was pretty nearly science fiction. The first Land camera in 1948 weighed more than four pounds. Smaller and lighter cameras like the Swinger came in the 1960s, and that one was aimed at teenagers. Hey! The Swinger! A lot of fine artists embraced Polaroid as well, from Ansel Adams, who actually worked for the company as a consultant, to Andy Warhol. The real blockbuster, though, came in 1972. That was the SX-70 line. That's the one we all think of as the classic Polaroid picture with the white border that spits out the front of the camera. Land left Polaroid in 1982. The people who ran Polaroid after him did some things right and some things not so right. What happened was the great innovation machine in that company started to cool down. Then digital came along and changed everything. A lot of times we hear ourselves saying that, don't we? I'm never changing who I am. I, I like who I am. This is who I am. And, and I don't know about your new ideas, and I don't know about your crazy thinking, but, but this is me, and I like me. And then there's other times where we th think, or do I? 
Maybe it is time to begin, isn't it? You know, I think about that video that we just saw with the guy talking about Polaroid, because I'm definitely a late adopter, okay? So when he's saying things that many years ago about, wouldn't it be awesome if we all had instant photos all the time and you could pull something out the size of your wallet and just have pictures right then? I mean, we have that now. You know, he's saying you might use it as often as your phone. You might use it because it is your phone. (laughs) And when they first started putting cameras on phones, I'm definitely one of those guys that's like, why would I want a phone with a camera when I already have a camera, right? And so everyone else is like uploading all their pictures or texting me everything, and I'm holding out until finally I realize what he said is true. You want to bring people something that they don't even know they need, But ultimately, they realize it's irresistible. And so now I have the phone with the camera, too, and I can text my mom pictures of the grandkids and all that that good stuff. You see, he had the ability to think further ahead. While everybody else is thinking about pictures, he's thinking about pictures in the palm of your hand. While everybody else is thinking about photography, he's thinking about instant photography. He's thinking about science. He's thinking about tech that hadn't even been developed yet. And to have that kind of long-term return on investment, you've got to be able to do long-term thinking. Now imagine for a second, because this is the kind of thing that Jesus does. But before we even go to Jesus, before we get back to the book of Luke, think about, say, 30 years ago, if somebody told you that there was going to be this company called Amazon, and you should put everything you have into Amazon... Would you believe them? I mean, it would be great advice, right? We know from from this point, from the other end of the spectrum, you would say, well, I hope I would listen to them because, man, that that could change your life. That could change generations after you to have made that kind of investment and get that kind of return. But the reality is, in that moment, we may or may not actually believe them. Because somebody's always coming along with the next big thing, right? Somebody's always trying to sell you something that's really supposed to be the answer. Or or that one investment that will make all the difference. And yet they would have been right. And and we find ourselves in this moment in Luke chapter 6. As we go on this journey with Jesus' startup. Where ultimately that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's telling us that wherever you sit today, whatever's going on right now, whatever you feel about yourself, whatever you feel about the people around you, whatever you feel about God, Jesus is trying to show us that he can see what's coming 10 years down the line, 50 years down the line, 100 years down the line when we're not even here anymore. And Jesus wants to show us how to think further ahead. And the question is, When he shows us what that looks like, will we believe him? Well, that's a little trickier, isn't it? And so I'd invite you back into Luke chapter 6 as we continue this journey. You remember last week, Jesus went away all night to pray and to choose leaders. And now he's got those leaders with him. And what happens next is they begin doing what we know of as Jesus' public ministry. In chapter 6, verse 17, it says... He came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. 
And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Now that's a pretty unique moment in Jesus' ministry, and yet it's fascinating because as Jesus marches through these three years, as he's training up his leaders, as he says, okay, if you guys are with me, then watch, this is what we're going to do, he'll actually teach them that the miracles he does are not really as important as the things that he's teaching. The miracles become almost like the proof in the pudding. Hey, I'm going to tell you some things, and they're going to sound hard to believe, but it's almost like, but watch this. Right, we saw when the paralyzed man was healed a couple of weeks ago, the first thing Jesus said was, your sins are forgiven. You can't do that. Only God can forgive the things we've done wrong. Who does this guy think he is? And so it tells us that Jesus, so that they might realize he had this kind of power, healed the man. That's the kind of thing that's happening here because now Jesus is going to launch into what is actually one of his most famous, perhaps his most famous speech, where he begins to declare what the kingdom of God is like. And to do that, he uses two kinds of statements, blessings and woes. Now, those are words that we don't use terribly often, but you've got to understand what Jesus means by them. When he says blessed, that word originally really just meant happy. But happy is almost too simple because we think of happy like when things are going well and and I'm almost just giddy and giggling. Really, it's a state of happiness that withstands the change of the circumstances around us. It's what we might think of as joy. You kind of that deep peace and joy that the New Testament talks about coming from Jesus into our lives that even if everything else around us is in turmoil, we still have this sense of goodness from him. On the flip side of that, he gives corollary statements that are called woes. And when we read these in a few moments, you could hear like the angry God voice, woe to you. But really the woes are meant more like a warning. You could think about it like if you're a parent, you might say, woe to you who touched the hot stove for you will be burned. Right? I tell that to my children Because I love them. (laughs) Because I want things to go well for them. I don't want them to get burned. Right? Or or, or you think, you know, if you're working with a staff, woe to you who treat our customers like numbers instead of people. For your bottom line will sink when people realize you don't actually care about them. Right? Fair warning to somebody you care about because you want things to go well, as if you're speaking to a child or a friend. That's how Jesus is doing this. Because when he comes to this place to spend time with us, I mean, he he wouldn't leave heaven, come to earth, and, and walk around in this place just to show people how much he doesn't like them. Right? He's here to teach us something, to show us how to think further ahead. And I think the first way that he does that here is he's teaching us to think further ahead about comforts. And this is what he says. This is verse 20 now. So after doing, after choosing these leaders, after doing these miracles, then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. Sometimes these are called the Beatitudes, and you may have heard these before. But 
Think about what he's actually saying. I mean, think about if he had just chosen his leaders, and this is like orientation. We're going to do miracles so you see the power I have, so when I teach, you'll believe what I say. And the first thing he says is, Hey, happy are you when you are poor, hungry, and weeping. I feel like I should write that down, but I'm not sure it makes sense. Jesus, could you say that again? But that's what he says. And what does he mean by that? You see, this is a paradox. A paradox is something that is seemingly absurd, but when investigated, it turns out to be true. In fact, as Jesus sat and spoke to the crowd, what you have to realize is that the crowd would be very mixed in terms of who was sitting there. You would have wealthy people, you would have religious elite, but you would also have people from the working class, what was considered poor, that actually made up about 85% of the population. And in that day, people would look at someone who was poor, who was hungry, who had had tragedy in their life, who might be weeping, and not only did they think that those people were unqualified for God's goodness, they would actually have thought that their circumstance of life was proof that God had nothing good in store for them. They would say, well, the wealthy, clearly God is on our side. Look at how he's blessed us. The poor, uh, he must have done something wrong. And so Jesus wants to be very clear as he begins to speak that if there's anybody sitting out there who thinks, I don't think this could be for me. If there's anybody sitting out there who thinks, I've messed up too much, I don't think I fit in. I don't belong with these other people. I've been too hurt. I've got too many needs. I've, got, I've felt too much pain. The kingdom couldn't possibly for me. He couldn't possibly call me blessed. Jesus says, wrong. He's here to teach a kingdom that is for anybody and everybody. And so there's a very physical element to this. The, the literal poor, the literally hungry, those who literally weep, the outcasts, Jesus has come for them. But there's also something that might be spiritual about this, emotional about this. When we feel poor, when we feel that hunger, that sense of longing for something more, when we weep because we can feel the way the world around us is broken, when we read the news or we experience tragedy in our own families. So Jesus wants to show us how to think further ahead. You see, his startup, his organization is going to be future-proof because it's built for eternity from the view of eternity. Jesus has that entire picture. But that's hard for us to think about, right? I mean, let's be honest. As human beings, it's hard to think five minutes ahead, let alone five days, five years, or 500 years. So I've got a video I want you to watch that I think helps to explain this. It is the famous marshmallow test. And in this video, there are a bunch of kids. You know what? Let's just watch. So I'm not sure. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right.
I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really good. I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give me another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> now, I've been watching that video all week, and, and still, like, I just feel that kid's tension building up inside me. I'm like, oh, that marshmallow. I don't even like marshmallows that much, but I want that marshmallow. Now, you feel that, right? Now, now, the original test was actually meant to show that kids who could delay gratification later in life would have greater success in their schooling, in their careers, because they knew the ability to look at what's around them and say, I know this isn't all there is. And if I dedicate myself this way, if I persevere this way, if I can resist gratification now, there'll be something better for me later. And I think that just speaks right into this moment that Jesus is talking about right now. I mean, that kid would love to hear, blessed are you who hunger now. For you shall be filled with two marshmallows, <laughs> right? In fact, Jesus actually turns that corner because when he gives the corollary to this, the woes that match up with those blessings sound like this. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now, those sound really heavy, but think about what Jesus is saying. And imagine that it comes in that moment right between when the little girl, while the lady is still in the room, is just like, what, what do I care? <laughs> right? Hey, woe to you who are full. I, I know that marshmallow tastes good now, but later yours will be gone, and everyone else is going to have two. Right? It's, it's, again, it's that warning because you want what's best for them. You'd love for her to get two. I mean, look how much she enjoyed that one. All right, so the video breaks down a little bit because kids eating marshmallows, not, not such a big deal. But that's the idea here, is that if we look at the world around us and we think that, that the wealth, the comfort, you know, the laughter, if we just treat life like today is all there is, so I might as well live it up, well then, what Jesus is kind of warning us is that if that's all you want, that's all you'll get. If you think you've already got the blessing then that's all the blessing you'll ever experience. But he wants us to think 
further ahead about those comforts. To realize that there are times in life where we feel poor, we feel hungry, where we weep. And he's telling us that that the kingdom of God, that this startup that, that we call the church, when he began to gather people to himself and say, follow me and I will show you blessing that goes beyond this life. Blessing that goes beyond anything in the here and now. Blessing that goes beyond comfort. Two marshmallows. And it's not only for our comforts, but it's for our relationships as well. In fact, if you think about this, you can think about how is it that you're spending your time? You know, maybe you are advancing your career at a record pace. But that keeps you from being able to spend time with the people that you really love. Maybe it's you know, a number that you've got as, as like if I could just hit this number in my savings account or, or this number in my investments, this number in my retirement, then like I could relax because I know things are, things are comfortable now. But maybe you spend so much energy gathering that in that you're unable to give back. And so the next thing that Jesus encourages us to do, the thing that he wants to show us is how to think further ahead about relationships. And that's what's really in the next round of blessings. He says, blessed are you when men hate you. Hold on, read that again. Happy? Blessed when men hate you? And when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. And the corollary woe, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now again, there's a paradox here. Right? It's, it seems crazy. Blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you, revile you, call you evil. Leap for joy. <laughs> no. Right? That, that's our gut reaction to that. Is that can't be possible. That can't be what you want. Right? And Jesus isn't saying, go out and pursue this. Right? It's not, go be a jerk to people so they hate you, because then you'll really feel good about life. Now, it's not, it's not blessed are you when people hate you because you rip them off or you're a jerk or you're unkind. But there's a phrase in the middle there, for the Son of Man's sake. That's Jesus talking about himself. He uses that phrase to, to describe himself. And so you've got to just take a little piece of history here. When it talks about the prophets, prophets were essentially somebody that God sent to his people to let them know when they were off track and to show them how to get back on track so that they would experience the greater return on the investment that they're making in their lives. So, for example, if God says, hey, if you live this way, you will be blessed, the people around you will enjoy it, everyone will have unity in their relationships with each other and with me. And then God's people get off track. So he sends a prophet who says, let's move back this way. The problem is, throughout this book, the people of God act a lot like we do, we say, I'm never changing who I am. I like this. I mean, this is, this is how it's always been for me. And I, This other thing you're saying, that sounds weird, and I don't know if I can really buy into that. Really? Invest in Amazon? Really? Instant photos? Really? 
blessing beyond this life. Maybe I'll just stick with what I'm doing. And so they would actually turn the prophets away, revile them, cast them out, treat them as enemies. And instead, false prophets would show up. Now, when you see that phrase, false prophets, you can plug in maybe the idea of a yes man. Somebody who just says whatever you want to hear. And so the false prophet would come and say, well, if this is God's way and you're going this way, but I want you to like me and I could use some of your gold, so you're doing a great job. Keep, keep it up. Right? I mean, you know how dangerous that is as soon as you hear it, and yet it happens to us all the time. Because too often we think about this world, we think about our reward, we think about the return on our investment, and all we're really thinking about is temporal stuff. Connections, possessions, positions. And he's telling us, think further. I mean, imagine... Well, maybe you don't even have to imagine. I know I don't. When I'm, when I'm speaking to my own kids, and you have those moments where you can tell they're only saying what they think Dad wants to hear, I make life really confusing for my kids because my two favorite sports teams are the Chicago Bulls and the Buffalo Bills. And they cannot keep the two straight. And so I'll say... Hey, Obed, what's your favorite basketball team? Oh, I know I'm supposed to know the answer to this. <sighs> Chicago Bills. I, first of all, no. <laughs> Second of all, you don't have to say that just because I say that, right? And, and, and you know he just wants to make Dad happy, but now there's something in between us that he feels like he can't be himself to me because he knows he thinks he's supposed to say what I want him to say. Right? That doesn't work in a relationship. Same thing in a company. If a CEO surrounds himself with a board who only says yes all the time, you know, and, and numbers are plummeting, and, and maybe it's something like Polaroid, where they've lost track of that visionary forward focus, and if everybody else sits at the table and says, hey, numbers are down, but you know, that, that's, the, the market is changing. I mean, I, I think you're really doing a great job, boss. And actually, I'd like to talk to you about my bonus. That's what the false prophets was like. But what happens is if we're so focused on connections, possessions, and positions, we try to please those things. We try to, we try to make that our investment. Then we're the little girl with one marshmallow. We'll get something out of that, but it won't last. So instead, think about your relational return on investment. If you invest in people right now, the, the way you are right now, what will your friendships be like in 10, 20, 30 years? If you spend the time on your marriage that you do right now, how will that relationship be when the kids are out of the house or when the first grandkids come over? Or think about those kids. If you continue to invest in your children the way you have been, the way you are right now, how well will you know them when they leave the house? when they have their own kids. Or think about maybe with God. If you invest in your relationship with God the way you do now, how well will you know him? How well do you know him? And some of you have, have learned this. Some of you are learning this. I know certainly I'm learning this. All, all the time it seems like there's another step I can take, a little more investment I can make, a little more that God is teaching me, a little more that I think I understand... And then he tells me something else. I say, that doesn't make sense, Lord. Blessed when I'm, when I'm hungry, when I'm weeping. And he says, think further ahead. 
Think further ahead about those relationships because here's the reality. In that marshmallow video, this is where it kind of breaks down a little bit because the kid who had to wait till the end essentially gets nothing until the end. The promise Jesus is making is even better than that. It's not as simple as saying, just suffer for your whole life because at least in heaven things will be good. Right? Instead, Jesus is saying, I know there will be suffering in your life, but the kingdom of God is at hand. My startup begins now. The kind of priorities that I've been teaching you, the kind of vision that I want to give you, the kind of love that made God come down and die for you and die for me, that starts right now. It will be perfected when we get to eternity. But we can start knowing love, joy, peace right now. You know, it reminds me of a story, and maybe you've heard this saying, this too shall pass. You know, usually we hear people say that when something is hard, when something's difficult, when somebody's sad or weeping, and we tell them, hey, I know this is hard right now, but this too shall pass. It's the kind of thing Jesus might have said to those who were hungry, those who were poor, those who were in those circumstances of life. It's the kind of thing he might say to us when he knows that we're hurting, that, that we're feeling that desire for something more. That he might say, circumstances can be hard, but this too shall pass. But actually, Jesus never said that. <laughs> this is one of those things that if you ask a lot of people, they think, where's, where's that verse that says this too shall pass? You won't find that verse. Sometimes it's misattributed that way because the story has been turned to be about Solomon, who's from the Bible. But actually, it was originally from a Persian poet named Atur of Nishapur. You heard that name before? <laughs> he wrote a story about a king. A king who had everything in the world that he needed. Who had no need he couldn't meet himself. Who had all of the castles and all of the servants and all of the power that he could possibly want. Yet he felt poor. Right? For, even for having all of that, sometimes poor is just the feeling that it's not enough. He wanted something more. He was hungry for something more. So he gathered all of his leaders, all of his wise men, all of the lords of his kingdom, and he said, go out into the entire world. Don't leave any stone unturned. Don't leave any corner unexplored and find me the most beautiful thing. Find me that thing, the greatest that the world has to offer and bring it back here that I may know happiness. And so they went out into all the world and they found a ring, unsurpassed in beauty, sparkling gold and gems and fine stones. And they brought the ring back to this king. And as he held it up, and he watched it sparkle, and he laid his eyes on the stones that were in it, he began to feel the joy of his new possession. And he held it up to the light that he might watch it sparkle and he noticed inside the ring was an inscription which said, This too shall pass. It was at that moment the king realized that no material thing would ever bring him true happiness. No temporal thing of this world could truly bring him what he had hoped for because this too shall pass. All of our wealth, all of our homes, all of our stock options, all of our toys, all of our gadgets, 
It's stuff. And this too shall pass. But then here comes Jesus. Jesus saying, blessed are you when men hate you for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. Here comes Jesus telling you, I know it's going to sound a little bit strange. I know it sounds like a paradox, and I know that if you start to follow me, there may be people who think that your thinking is weird and doesn't make sense. But trust me, right? Trust the visionary leader who can tell you that Amazon's going to be worth it. Who can tell you that people really do want pictures instantly? Who can tell you what is beyond this life? And that the investment we make now can have eternal impact, not only for us, but for those around us. Sometimes we come to this book, and I'm guilty of this, and I say, yeah, tell me how to get filled. Tell me how to get that kingdom. Tell me how to to laugh, how to overcome weeping. I, I, I want these blessings. This sounds great. And sometimes we try to take all of that in without actually starting that relationship with Jesus. But that's why he uses that phrase, for the Son of Man's sake. That's him. You know, and one of the things that we'll see on this journey, even in the coming weeks, is that this startup, this organization, this kingdom, and everything that goes with it is all built on Jesus. If I try to get the blessing while leaving the visionary leader behind, it won't work because he's not there to show me. But that's why he was here. Because for everything that you and I can think about in our own lives, everything that you and I could look at and say, these are the things I've done wrong why I think God wouldn't accept me. Or these are the things I've done right and God owes it to me. All of those things fall away and Jesus just looks at you and says, you are exactly the kind of person that I love so much that I would die for you. And he did. So that then we can look at the things, the circumstances, the stuff of life and realize as Second Corinthians says, That the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what if we could use stuff like this, and instead of having it just be a small piece of gold that might be melted down someday when I'm long gone anyhow, what if we could use the temporal things to think further ahead and have eternal impact? You know, when you think about Horizon Community Church, that's one of the foundations that this place was built on. Because you know what? When we were bringing on staff, when when we were looking for a building, when we were building this place, we know. This too shall pass. But what if we could use this to have eternal impact? And I'd actually like to invite Trey Smith up to the stage Uh, Trey was actually one of the first people I met here at Horizon. Come on up, Trey. Let's give Trey a hand. Trey, you were actually on the building committee as this property was being found, this place was coming to be, um, a committee that was trying to think about how we're we're building something now, but we want impact forever. So so tell me a little bit, um, 
how did you come to Horizon in the first place to even be able to be on something like that? Yeah, it's a good question. So in 1998, um, I had the chance to make a career change and move to uh, Cincinnati from Minneapolis. And uh, Beth and I had been a part of a church startup there in Minneapolis. And I got to tell you, it was one of the most exciting uh, efforts I've ever been a part of. So very small church in a, in a, a suburban area that uh, started and uh, grew quickly. We were in a dinner theater and then eventually moved to a high school. And, uh, and I saw lives changed. I saw families coming and the transforming power of Christ. And, and just, I'd never been a part of something like that. So I, I really fell in love with the effort. And, um, and then it, it, about the time that we were beginning to, we, we had acquired some land, we were thinking about building, that's when it became evident that uh, we were moving to Cincinnati. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, I, I was sad to leave the effort. I, I, was, yeah. I thought, oh, what possibly could be in Cincinnati? So <laughs> we moved here, and um, I'm not kidding you, within two weeks of the time that we moved in, I got a phone call from um, one of the visionary founders, and um, he had heard about me through a mutual acquaintance. And, and uh, had heard that I was part of a startup and said, hey, I'd like to, to paint for you a vision for what we have here at Horizon hmm. and see if you'd like to be a part of it. And I hung up that phone, and I have never had a smile so big. I thought, wow, this is, I get to carry on. I get to do hmm. more. And literally, not only did we you know, get to use what I had learned in the previous church, but also to take it to the next level and, and actually see the building through completion to where we are today. Wow. Yeah. So, so first of all, it sounds like uh, maybe God knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's really interesting. But also, tell, tell me a little bit, because um, the first time I came to Horizon, this was already here. So, so tell me, what was it like trying to find this property and actually get this, this building put into place? Yeah, well, it took a, we had to be patient because, honestly, uh, we looked at about 26 different pieces of land. Uh, we actually owned two previous properties before this, and for various reasons, either through zoning or not able to acquire the land around it, we did not uh, build on those on those properties. So we found this property, and it was way more land than we needed, for one. It was, a, it was an old golf course, um, public golf course. But the other problem with it is that the five acres that we're on here was 14 feet lower than it is right now. And so that put it in the 100-year floodplain uh, for the little Miami River. And so we had to, we had to find dirt. And... Uh, and honestly, uh, dirt's an interesting business. It, it, if you have dirt and you want to get rid of it, it's expensive. If you need dirt and you're trying to find it, it's expensive. And so, you know, we were trying to find that sweet spot where we could get the dirt for next to nothing. Okay, someone who was desperate, basically, they had a lot of money. Well, we were, again, God came through, and uh, at that time, uh, Nordstrom's was building at Kenwood. And, uh, and so they had a tremendous excavation project, and they had to, get, they had to put the dirt somewhere. And, uh, and so here we were. We, we accepted that dirt and uh, you know, had to surcharge the land for a couple of years so it could compact. But um, we had, I think we imported about 350,000 square yards of dirt. In fact, you could describe that as a freight train from Kenwood to here. And uh, it, it, you guys have noticed, but in Indian Hill, there is a sign as you enter Indian Hill that says no tandem axle trucks are allowed to go through Indian Hill. Well, I call that the horizon ordinance because during the time all those trucks were going through, they had a city council meeting and they said, we're putting these signs up. And so they had to drive around. But, uh, so but you're the reason I can't drive my tandem axle truck through Indian exactly Hill. exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I remember when we were talking about this the other day and you were just talking about that building project and, and stuff like that where, where dirt just shows up. Um, you kept using the word miracle. Yeah. And 
what I thought was really interesting about that was that the, the miracles you described were more than just, you know, budget and building. It was, it was people. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when we embarked on this effort, um, we did a pledge campaign. And so we asked people to make four-year pledges because our thought was we knew we wanted to build a building. We've, we've been called to build a building that was debt-free. But we knew that as we started construction, there was, there was money that had to go out to pay the architect first and then to begin to make progress payments to the, to the contractor. So we asked for four-year pledges. And the four-year pledges would say, for each of the next four years, I will give this much. And we've been told by, you know, church consultants and that sort of thing that, um, that you won't get 100% of your pledges, that things happen with people, and so you should count on, you know, something less than 100%. So we went in around 90%, which was, you know, you know, maybe a little high compared to what people told us, but we looked at, you know, looked at the people we had here and, and had confidence that, uh, that we could get that money. And, um, and so we, based upon the pledges we got, we hired an architect. They basically designed this beautiful building. We hired a, a contractor who began the process of building it, putting the footings in. And then the 2007 Great Recession happened. Mm. And, you know, quite frankly, we didn't know what to do because there were people, well, all of us had lost half of our 401ks and our investment portfolio. Um, many people had lost, you know, the value of their homes. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs. And so we thought, well... What are we going to do? I mean, you know, can we move forward with this? Now, the the con- contractor said, by the way, you're getting a great deal on this on this building. In fact, we've been told since then to build this building as it is today would cost us almost twice as much as we paid. Mm. But we had contractors who were just trying to keep their people employed, and because it, it was it was devastating. And so I remember a time when we were praying. We were like, should, Lord, should we just stop? Should we just you know put up you know put a halt on it and kind of see what comes in, or do we step out in faith? that somehow you will provide. And the decision was made to step out in faith. And, and honestly, I, I felt pretty uneasy about it. Um, but we did it. And there were people who lost their jobs. Hmm. And I can tell you, those people, I, I saw them. They said, I made a pledge. I'm giving the money. I don't have a job. I don't know where it's coming from. But I told you I would do it, and I'm going to do it. And we had people, obviously, who had lost you know, a lot of the stock that they had planned to to, to give to us, um, and they, they found the money somewhere else. In the end, we actually ended up at around 95% turned wow. out, which, which is a miracle, you know, yeah. and, and those people um, gave out of, out of their heart knowing that this was an eternal gift mm. and something that they obviously gave sacrificially for. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, Trey, I want to thank you for sharing that yeah. with us today, and thank you for being here. Let's give yeah. Trey another hand. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it, it, it struck me as, uh, as I was thinking about this passage and as Trey and I were talking, that, that really is a heart thing, right? In fact, this, this ring, this is actually my daughter's. She's eight years old and it's like the only real ring she has. Hey, Belle, can I use your ring? I'm doing this thing for church today. No. She, like, first she didn't want me taking it out of the box, then she didn't want me showing it to you. I'm not allowed to throw it. I was going to, you know... Like, she just clung tighter and tighter. And then finally, she, she gave it to me with, with essentially a, well, if you think it'll help. And here's what I want you to hear. Because why would she do that? Why would people lose their investments, lose their jobs, lose their 401ks, and still give 
to something like this? Why would somebody invest four years volunteering down the hallway in East Station with kids? Why would somebody come out here every week when you've seen them in the sleet and the snow and they're greeting you at the curb anyway? Why would people give up their time on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in or having breakfast somewhere and come into a place like this? Really only because you think there's a possibility that there's more than this. That when you look to the sky, you say, God... Is there a greater return on this investment? Could the things I do now have eternal impact? And let him speak to your heart. You know, for you, looking further ahead about your comforts, about your relationships, about your reward, the return on the investment you're making in your life, it may be giving. It may be volunteering. It it may be starting a group for the first time. I, I don't know what it might be. But here's one thing I know for sure. The foundation of all of that is just that God wants a relationship with you. I'm not here to pitch those things to you to tell you if you really want God to be happy, you better do these things. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. God wants to call you blessed because he's designed you for a relationship with him. And I don't know any better time to start that than right now. So can I just pray for us this morning? Father, we thank you that you have a view from eternity. And we know that sometimes, well, Lord, a lot of times it's hard for us to see that. We know that you have overheard us this morning. And Lord, I just pray that as you listen, as you watch over us, that we might listen, that we might begin to hear what it is that you're showing us that that comes further down the line, Lord. Not only in, in this life, how we can begin to feel the blessings that you've designed But, Lord, that we might be able to use what we have here to make an eternal investment and that in all of it, that would not be our striving to earn something from you, but that it would just be our thankfulness and enjoying a relationship with you. Lord, for anyone in this place who does not know you that way, I just pray that you might open their heart even a little bit more this morning to see the visionary leader who's looking further ahead to tell them that you love them. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions about anything that I've said today or if there's something that you want to talk about, what a relationship with him might look like, how you can get involved, please don't hesitate to do so. You know, grab me, grab one of our team members, or come down to the hearth room, which is the third door on the left. We would love to talk to you, put a name with the face, and just get to know you better. And we will be back next week for more startup. Thank you for coming.